Who likes to visualise how God is, is working when they worship and, and when they, they come to church? I, I, I had this picture this morning of, as we started worship, it was like paddling in the shadows. I could feel the, sort of the, the waves of the Holy Spirit lapping at my ankles. And I thought, well, this is, this is quite neat. And then it reminded me of that scripture that talks about the river flowing from the temple. And I thought, well, we, it needs to be deeper. Let's, let's try for the knees. And so I think that as, as, we, as we began to worship, as we progressed, I sort of imagined this river of the Spirit just rising until I was totally immersed in it. And I think that's what we have to, we have to start believing that we're not just here on the, this human plane listening to the words of God, having it explained so that we understand it. Although some of that's good. I love the, what was it? Progressive pontification? Progr- yeah. I, I think I might do that a bit. <laughs> some people have told me I pontificate all the time. But, <laughs> but so I just want us, before, before I, I preach the word of God this morning, I just want us to pray and just to prepare ourselves for something to change when we hear what God has to say to us, not just physically, not just mentally, but spiritually. So Lord, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit does rise this morning in this place, that we are not just paddling in it, we're not just wading through it, but we are immersed in your Spirit as we hear your word. We don't just hear it, but we obey it. We take it into us, it lives in us. It's not a fleeting, passing thought, it is an abiding living thing inside of us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Mighty God, we worship you. And Lord, we listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, who remembers last week? No, me neither. Um, and the, we, We've started to cover this theme that goes through the Bible about how God has prepared a place for us. And he's prepared this place for us to interact with him because he loves us. And he cares deeply about our lives and the fulfilment of the potential that we are created for. Potential is a, is a, is a really dangerous thing. I, I, I remember seeing a Charlie Brown cartoon where, I don't know whether you know, Charlie Brown's favourite sport was baseball, which is unfortunate because he's hopeless at it. And uh, uh, there's a picture of him lying on the pitcher's mound uh, bemoaning, and the only word in the whole strip was, there is no heavier burden than a great potential. And we, God sees the potential in us, and sometimes that can be a bit of a burden, but there's something in us which has a destiny. And last week we explored a bit of the Song of Moses. You remember that? That's uh, Moses' speech at the end of, end of Deuteronomy that actually confirms that God feels pretty strongly about humankind and his desire is to bring close to protect and even spoil his people. However, if we keep reading this poem, we discover that Moses is not the person to ask to coach a sports team, say a football team. Um, As a motivational speech to encourage the Israelites as they cross the Jordan and enter the promised land, it would rank as one of the worst ever. Imagine, if you will, Moses the coach and he's got his, his little league team in front of him. We've got the, the players on his team. And it's, it's an AFL team. They're about to, you know, it's the new season. 
and he's got his team in front of him and he, and he stands there and he says, you guys are great. You are a wonderful team. You've had an amazing pre-season. Sounds like the Crows, doesn't it? Your fitness is at an all-time high. Your ball skills are unparalleled. You guys are amazing. And are you feeling pretty good right now? And then he goes, but. No, he doesn't. He goes on to say team morale is incredible. You have generous sponsors. Almighty God. <laughs> Just to tie it in. And they've provided you the best uniform, the newest boots to see you into this coming season. But I know you people. After a promising start, you're going to stuff things up. You are going to stuff up in a spectacular fashion. Injuries are going to rob your team of the best players. Um, your ball handling skills are going to become the butt of jokes of all the other teams. Injury, uh, key players are going to get drunk and take inappropriate selfies. <laughs> and moral failure will sabotage team cohesion. Matches you should win easily will slip through your fingers and by the end of the season you're going to be at the bottom of the ladder and the laughing stock of the whole league. How do you feel? But that's what Moses does to the people of Israel as they're about to cross the Jordan into the promised land. He tells them how God loves them, how he's given them everything and how they're looking really good. But then he says, sorry guys, but you're going to stuff it. No matter what God says, you are going to disappoint him and you are going to get yourself into really big trouble. And of course, we know because we've read on and we've cheated, that it all ends badly for the Israelites and everything that Moses prophesies came to pass. So what went wrong? Never mind why Moses, I don't know whether it was sour grapes because um, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land or not. I don't think so. Because uh, he was speaking from God's heart. God knew what his people were going to do. And so I think it's just that despite God's preparation, his demonstration of great love, the people of God abandoned their own God. They didn't dwell with him or even stay close to him. In fact, they failed to abide in him. Now, are we all familiar with the term abide? Are we really? Because there's four different meanings for the term abide. And two, and, are there? Is it, I was going to say, is there something on, on the screen that I haven't noticed? Uh, okay. Okay, I won't worry about it. The first meaning is to accept or act in accordance with a rule. Come on, it's only a spelling error. <laughs> so if you abide by somebody's decision, gosh, <laughs> gee whiz, it's spooky up here. That, that's one re meaning of the word abide, being able to tolerate something. You know, if you heard people say, I can't abide the lack of discipline in this place. <laughs> that was what I had written, it wasn't actually a... <laughs> Timely comment. <laughs> the third meaning is uh, the continuation of a feeling or a, a memory. At least one memory will abide. So it's a continuation or carrying on. And an archaic 
meaning of abide, is to actually live or dwell. You know, many people abide in the city of Adelaide. Um, and the funny thing is that the Bible definition of the word abide is the archaic one. It's to remain or to dwell. And it entails far more than just this idea that we continue to believe in Jesus. It's actually much deeper than that. So let's, let's read what Jesus himself said. We'll read this from the New Living Translation, which uses the word remain in place of abide, of which I hope there is only one spelling. In John 15, verse 4, and this is Jesus saying, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Another cheerful scripture. But from this scripture, we can see that as well as a promise that Jesus will remain in us, remaining or abiding in Jesus is tied to us being fruitful. There's also a warning, of course, that failure to remain in him has tra tragic consequences, as the Old Testament Israelites discovered. But what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Abide in him is one of those religious-sounding terms which isn't really clear when it comes to practical application. Well, luckily for us, Jesus makes it very clear in the following verses. If we read John 15, verse 7, it says, If you want to remain in me and my words remain in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted when you produce much fruit you are my true disciples this brings great glory to my father I have loved you even as the father has loved me remain in my love when you obey my commandments you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy yes your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I'd have, I've loved you. So there are two simple things in here. His word remains in us and we obey what his word says. You sort of thought it was going to be trickier than that, didn't you? And if we do those things, it says we can ask for anything and it will be granted. We will produce much fruit and we will be filled with his joy. So happiness is perhaps not too far off. But when we see this idea of producing fruit, we can be snared into worldly thinking. It's not hitting our KPIs. It's not becoming financially successful or achieving our life goals. Jesus is talking about something quite different. Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And interestingly, I think this brings into focus the relationship between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Because everybody wants the gifts of the Spirit, right? But we're all afraid to pray for the fruits of the Spirit in case God gives us some test to actually see if we've got them. <laughs> you know, we, we don't pray for patience because the only way to get that is to have something in our lives that requires patience. And so 
we're all, we're all keen on what we want the gifts of the Spirit. But there's a, there's a connection between the two. After all, remaining in Jesus produces the fruit of the Spirit in each of us. But his commandment in John 15, 12 is to love each other in the same way I've loved you. And so to love somebody else, we have to do something for someone else, which is where the spiritual gifts come in. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help ourselves. No, it says so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, much as I've actually seen large numbers of Christians attempt this, we cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in other people. We can, however, use the gifts of the Spirit to show our love for others and that there is an important relationship between these two. It's no chance happening that 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love and the fruit of the Spirit, is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And not because it fits in there numerically either. It actually emphasises the importance of having the fruit of the Spirit in close relation to the gifts. Paul goes so far as to say that the gifts without the fruit are powerless and of little use. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the beginning of the, the love chapter. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So love is the very essence of the fruit of the Spirit. And though we may have the gifts of speaking in other tongues, of prophecy, wisdom, knowledge and faith, if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, these gifts mean absolutely nothing. So if we go back to John 15 and meditate on God's Word and then actually do what it says, then we will bear fruit, our prayers will be answered and we will be filled with joy. To fulfill Christ's command, love each other in the same way I have loved you, we can then use the gifts of the Spirit with love to build up other believers. Or, as we put it, the church. The development of this inner Christ-like nature. Because who knows, that's, that's one of the things that as followers of Jesus we aim to do. To be more like Him. And that that Christ-like nature has to be behind any use of our spiritual gifts. We've got to recognise that the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit must be accompanied by the fruit of a spiritual life to have the power that Jesus designed it for. 
If we have that, we can be very powerful in the way we move and useful in doing what God has called us to do. He's called us to build his church. He's called us to preach the gospel to all nations. And we've got to do that A, out of love, but B, out of power. And use our gifts to actually achieve that. After all, much as though I think we don't like to acknowledge it, the Holy Spirit is as much interested in building our character as he is in giving us power. Every spirit-baptized believer, which means every believer, needs to realize the importance of both of these blessings. Because you see, one of the things that happens in, in church, because we like to make things simple, and we talk about answers, and we talk about simple things like do or not do. Although I think that's a different movie. But sometimes there are things that, there are, there are sliding scales. Abiding in Jesus is one of these things where it's not a question of, you do or not do. Most Christians aren't in that place where they either abide in God or, the, or in Jesus or they don't abide in Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's a degree of abiding that we do. It's like a house. You know, we, we abide in our houses, but some people abide in them more than others. It's like Brendan was talking about his neighbour who does three three prayer meetings of two hours each she abides in prayer a lot more than many of us most all of us possibly <laughs> I'm not speaking for you at all if you're more power to you if, if that's what you do but the thing is that that would have practical implications because of that dwelling of that abiding that she does there's more love available there's more power that she would have access to. And there's, it's a tension that we hold because who knows that life gets in the way? Has anybody found that? Life is, I've heard this term, I don't know whether it's true, life is busy. Is that? Some people seem to have a busy life and I'm not sure what that is. I, I'm carefree. I, I don't. But it's, it's a constant battle, I think, rather than finding yes no answers there's a tension that if we want to be effective for the kingdom of God we have to press in more and it's not like pressing a button you flick a switch and you're in you flick it again you're out it's like pushing silly putty you know you push but there's resistance and if you keep pushing you can move it but you've got to keep pushing because if you, if you slacken off guess what it pushes back and this is something that we, I believe we've got to work at. We've got to, that's why we're called to pray every day. That's why we, I, I believe it, we need to be in the Word of God every day so that we have the power and the strength to push back, so that we, we are hearing and abiding in the Word of God so that we know and are aware of what our neighbours need, of what we can do in the kingdom of God to bring joy to other people as we become more Christ-like, we can then act in the gifts that God has given us. If we're able to give wisdom, prophecy, 
pray in tongues, to teach whatever it is we're called to give. The degree to which we abide in Jesus determines how well that works for us. Can we all stand? You know, it may just be me, but the last couple of years have been interesting. And I think one of the things that you know, we've avoided doing uh, is to actually come together and, and connect with our neighbours, with other people. We've been afraid of coughing on them, transferring something that's unhealthy. But I believe that we need to put that aside. We need to start something new. We need to be able to come together as a community and start to reach out to people, to actually physically touch people, to spiritually touch people, to actually be a joy for other people, to have people uppermost in our mind instead of this, this tendency we have to lock ourselves away because it's good protection. Our isolation has dealt more damage, I think, than anything else over the last two or three years, affected people's psyche, affected people's mental capabilities, I believe affected our spiritual peace and our spiritual power. So I want to, if you want to start something fresh, if you want to say to God this morning, look, I want to abide in you. I want you to show me the gifts that I've got. I want to start using those gifts afresh a new, a renewed time of spiritual activity in my life. You might not know what your gift is. You, you might be saying, well, God, tell me what my, my gift is so that I can, I can move in it. You may want a new one. You might be sick of the one you've got. It doesn't say you're necessarily stuck with it, but the Holy Spirit will decide what he gives you. I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, if you want a, a fresh touch of the Spirit this morning, if you want a, an answer from God, a word, a refreshing, even a direction to take your spiritual gifts, come out on the altar right now, just before we close. I'd love to pray with you. Just to lay very clean hands on you. Just because we're out of the woods doesn't mean we need to be silly. And can I ask those of you still standing out there just to raise your hands towards these people? Begin to pray. These are people in our, our community. We, are, we need to be reaching out with love. with joy, with a purpose. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for everybody to come into church and you know, during worship or definitely not during the preaching because you're listening, but just to pick out a person and begin to pray for them. 
Ask God for a, a word for them if you see that they're hurting. Pray for healing for them. Start to be aware of the people in our community around us. Come on, just keep reading.